0: Welcome to Access, Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Neighborhood Watch volunteer George Zimmerman was recently acquitted of all charges in the death of Florida teenager Trayvon Martin. More than 150 people marched in protest of the verdict in Salt Lake City. According to the Salt Lake Tribune, some of the protesters said that the trial's outcome will increase racial profiling and open the door for, quote, trigger-happy, unquote, vigilantes and also in the Salt Lake Tribune, Reverend Francis Davis of Calvary Baptist Church in Salt Lake City, and a veteran of civil rights movement in the 1960s, uh, said that he's concerned uh, that we haven't made any more progress in our society than this. We're opening up Access Utah to you today to talk about this case. Here's your opportunity, and we'd like to have your general reaction. Then what about racial profiling, racial stereotyping? That's one uh, strain of conversation. We'd also like to talk about stand-your-ground laws, some 30 uh, Uh, States in uh, the U.S. have the Stand Your Ground law. Florida is one, of course. It was not invoked officially at the trial, but it's sort of hovering in the atmosphere. And Utah has such a law. What does this case teach us about Stand Your Ground? Also, should George Zimmerman face federal charges? And Co-hosting with me today is Jonathan Choate. Welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you being with uh, us. Later in the program, uh, we're going to hear a conversation I had yesterday evening with Janetta Williams, president of the Salt Lake branch of the NAACP. She's at the NAACP National Convention in uh, Orlando, which is quite close to Sanford, so quite interesting uh, to uh, to hear about the verdict in that setting. We'll ask her about that. First of all, we bring in uh, Salt Lake Tribune reporter Aaron Alberti. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Am I saying your last name correctly? Yes. Okay. And you were at a, a protest march. Uh, I guess this was near the state capitol. Uh, you report more than 150 people marched in protest of the verdict. Uh, and uh, so first of all, what was the atmosphere there at that, that protest rally?
1: Well, there was... A lot of anger, I guess there you know it it was outside of Matheson courthouse, actually, and um just people had brought signs, a lot of people brought signs um waving them a lot of people were honking in response on state street um so
0: so honking in in support of their march, yeah, i yeah. guess yeah, uh so you um you got a couple of interesting quotes from uh, from some of the uh, organizers, uh, participants in in the rally. Uh, it sounds like uh, some of the people there were concerned about uh, ongoing racial profiling in Utah.
1: Yeah, um, several people and, and people that didn't appear in the in the article also. Um, not everybody that I talked to was concerned about that, but but several of the people. It was a very diverse group, um, and so. There, there were a number of minorities there, and um, that definitely was a concern for a lot of the people that were there.
0: Hmm. Um, and uh, at least one person that you talked to said that uh, they weren't maybe as concerned about racial profiling, but they were just concerned about ongoing uh, pattern of uh, differences in treatment, what you might call stereotyping.
1: Yeah, yeah. A lot of the people I talked to, you know, they they didn't talk about things like being stopped by a neighborhood watch, um, you know, or, or suspected of, of criminal activity, though there were a, a couple of people I talked to that said that they had experienced that. Um, more than that, it was things like going to a restaurant, being placed in the back of the restaurant. If it had happened just once, they wouldn't think anything of it, but it was something that happened the point where they would almost expect it when they went out to eat. Or, um, you know, one woman said uh, she was Latina. She said that, you know, going routinely to a store, paying with credit card, asked to show ID, but seeing that the white customers weren't asked to show ID, things like this, that that's what they told me.
0: Mm-hmm. And some of them are concerned that the outcome of the uh, trial within the Ger- Zimmerman case is perhaps going to have ill effects in Utah.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, I mean, that was the most consistent sentiment of everybody that I talked to, just that um, concern that, and, and it wasn't just a matter of race for some people. For some people it was a matter of, um, you know, uh, well, one person described it as brutalization of, of youth and, it wasn't just that uh, Trayvon was, was black, but also that he was young and he was male. And they were concerned that, you know, all all three people that matched those characteristics would find themselves facing, you know, a, a culture that was just a little bit more comfortable um, stereotyping and profiling. That's what that's what they told me.
0: Did anybody talk about stand your ground?
1: Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they certainly did. Um, there were lots of, Uh, chance and stuff and there was a lot of frustration with with that uh self-defense argument Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, what was the makeup of of the crowd you know a lot of african americans what was the what was the makeup it
1: it was it was very diverse i mean there were a number of of black people a number of uh latinos a number of white people um, all different ages. I mean, I saw uh, senior citizens to small children. Mm.
0: But uh, as you know, uh, some protests have turned violent in other areas of the country. This one didn't. Uh, just, I guess fairly, fairly orderly. The, the, not, a, <laughs> yeah. not a charged atmosphere in this one.
1: I well, there was definitely anger, but no, nothing like. Uh, yeah, nothing close to violence that I saw. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate you setting the scene for us there.
1: Oh, no problem.
0: Erin Alberty, who was at the uh, protest march at the Matheson Courthouse. Um, More than 150 people, she reports, uh, protesting the outcome of the George Zimmerman uh, trial. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much.
0: And uh, as I said, we're going to uh, go to that uh, interview uh, shortly that I recorded with Jeanette Williams, president of the Salt Lake City chapter of NAACP. I reached her at the NAACP National Convention in Orlando, which is uh, interestingly, coincidentally, pretty close to Sanford.
2: Yes, that is interesting.
0: Uh, uh, Jonathan, I wonder what your, your general reaction when you, you heard the verdict and you're you're seeing the, the ongoing rally, some of them uh, violent. Of course,
2: NAACP and, and some other national leaders are urging calm. Urging calm. And then that's, you know, that's a, definitely appreciated. But you know, I I may have a different take than some on this particular one. I am of the opinion that it never should have gone to trial in the first place. Uh, the original investigators and the original prosecutors deemed that there wasn't enough evidence for a conviction and, and that played out in the trial. Um, I You know, I'm somebody who I, I, I am personally a concealed carrier and I've been through significant firearms training as far as what is you know when it is appropriate and when it or when it is necessary to use deadly force and the potential consequences in some of the training classes i've they told us specifically you know if you have to if you feel that this is necessary your life is threatened or the life of your family or somebody else and you pull that trigger expect to go to jail period mm. You know, you may not be convicted, but expect that it's going to happen. Keep that in the back of your mind, that that is a distinct possibility, regardless of how justified you feel you were. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, you know, that's always something you have to be careful of. But looking at the evidence as, you know, as has been presented now, none of us were there. And uh, there's certainly some some pieces of the story that we wish we could have that don't, you know, that just aren't out there. Um I, you know, I look at it and I see that it it was a, you know, it's a sad and tragic event. It's something we wish would have never happened in the first place, but that legally it does come down to self-defense. And I don't see this as being a racial issue. And I tend to look at at the same people who are protesting stand your ground laws now are the same people who were protesting them before the event. So it is, um, you know, it is something that is you know, a convenient thing or not, you know, convenience, maybe not the right word, but it's an event that says, aha, see, we were right before and we're still, you know, no minds have been changed on either side, regardless of what happened with the trial. Mm-hmm.
0: I think you're aware, Jonathan, of this uh, case that's being used by uh, uh, opponents of Sandy Ground and, and uh, don't like the outcome of the of the Zimmerman trial here. Um, a black woman in Florida, Jacksonville, Florida, Marissa Alexander, um, Fired uh, in the general direction, at least that's what prosecutors say, mm-hmm. warning shots, she said. And you've already talked about warning shots and the concealed carry. Uh, you should never fire a warning shot. Uh, she didn't get the memo, I guess. But she she invoked stand your ground. She says that she felt threatened that he had made verbal threats to her, to her ex-husband. She fired in the air, she says, straight up, uh, a warning, warning shot. She used stand your ground at trial jury rejected that and she's facing 20 years.
2: Well I, one of the issues and you know we, we talked about this off air before we started was um, in, in firearms training I was specifically told never give a warning shot because if you feel that you are not in enough danger to actually have to stop the person, again the, you know the weapon is not to threaten the weapon is to stop the danger. Um, Whether it's a knife, whether it's your fist, whether it's a gun, it's all the same thing. It is self-defense to stop the behavior. If you're not threatened enough that you have to actually stop an imminent threat, then you're not threatened enough to actually fire the weapon. And that's, I think, the reason why um, it failed at trial, because if you think you have time for a warning shot, then you have time for some other means of, you know, of, you know, try to... Uh, you know, tried to defuse the situation, etc. No physical harm had yet. Now, she may very well have been in imminent danger. Um, obviously, we, none of us were there, so we don't know for sure what happened. But I think that's the reason why it failed at trial. And that's why anybody who's, I mean, anybody's going to ha- have a weapon, you really should make sure you're appropriately trained. And, and you know what the laws actually are, not what they are, um, you know, not what your friend who heard it from your other friend who saw it on a TV show says that the laws are. Mm-hmm because they're a lot more nuanced and a lot more, uh, you know, you've, you've really got to know what they are and, and not just apocryphal information. But
0: uh, can you understand, empathize, at least with the suspicions? You know, there's a whole history of, of racism. And oh, ab- absolutely. Violent racism. I, so that this woman's black. She doesn't get off the, you know, the, the other man, George Zimmerman. Of course, he's half Hispanic,
2: but uh, maybe maybe looks more white. He gets off. Well, uh Again, the situations are very different, and you have to look at each one individually. Um, you know, she didn't; she evoked the stand-your-ground law, but um, and I and I don't know all the details about this particular case. She never ended up shooting the guy, uh, and so it's a different type of a charge. Um, obviously, bodily harm never happened to her, and as such, you can't necessarily invoke self-defense. Um, you know in her case and and this seems horrible legally she would probably have gotten off had she actually shot him mm-hmm. now that's a problem and i think that that in her case the law needs to be changed there should be an appropriate use for warning rather than that but that's the way the law is and i think that's a legal issue that needs to be done you know i i think the concepts behind self defense and that you should be able to protect yourself your family and your property Need to be affirmed in law. Now you know we have we have only human law, and as such, it's flawed.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I've got uh, Florida's law in front of me here, um, and I think Utah's is quite
0: similar. Uh, and uh, a lot of these stand your ground laws talk a lot about building on case law or or, or statutory law before it about home invasion. And there's a yes. case of a of a fellow in an RV who. Uh, uh, was awakened by an intruder, ended up shooting the intruder, and this was before a stand your ground. I think this was in Florida before the stand your ground law, and uh, he had to wait for a long time before prosecutors determined that he was that it was lawful. I think that was one of the impetuses for,
2: for the Florida yeah, law. There, there have been numerous cases, and and the stand your ground law p- previous to that. The, you know, the the law basically said if you have any alternative, if you have any alternative to using this, if you can run, if you can get out, if you can barricade yourself somehow, that you have to exhaust all these other alternatives first. And... You know and it's it's somewhat of the um, codifying of what's known as the castle doctrine. I'm not sure who's if you're familiar with that. Castle doctrine basically meaning that your home is your castle and you have the right to defend your castle. And Stand your ground basically says no, if you' if you're in your home, if you're on your property, if you're in an established area, you don't have to run before you can defend yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, And that's really what those purposes of the Stand Your Ground laws are. You know, you may have the option to run, but it's your house. You shouldn't have to run. Now, it might be the best choice to do so. Um, but that's up, you know. That's up to you.
0: So, and so building on that, uh, and many of these stand your ground laws have this particular clause, which is which is where the gets all the attention. I think is outside of your house. So here's from the Florida law: a person who is not engaged in an unlawful activity and who is attacked in any other place where he or she has a right to be, has no duty to retreat. And has the right to stand his or her ground, and meet force with force, including deadly force, if he or she reasonably believes it's necessary to do so to prevent death or great bodily harm to himself or herself, or another, or to prevent the commission of a forcible felony. So, as you were saying, Jonathan, yeah. that that not only
2: in your house but on the street, right? But it, it's the concept of uh, again, you don't have to run. Uh, previous to that, if you didn't run, you know, and and it may be scenarios where. You know, you, you may have an option to run, but it's not a good option. And you could be, pro- again, from when my training was, it's told, hey, you, you pull that trigger, expect to go to jail, regardless of what you felt in that circumstance, that it was a necessary thing to do. Again, always tragic, but sometimes necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this codifies in the law that you are able to stand and defend yourself without having to run.
0: And of course, in this case, Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman. Um, you know, the the you, you made this point, Jonathan. The law sometimes stands separate from maybe what should ha- you know should happen. Uh, but you've got a bigger man, and th- th- that's a key point. Some commentators are are talking about the fact that Trayvon Martin, seventeen years old. You know, still a child. It should be presumed a a child. And he's with this history of of racial profiling that uh, I think undoubtedly happens in some areas. He's being followed by this, this guy. He feels threatened uh, George Zimmerman at trial, uh, his lawyers say that he feels threatened. And so it's a, it's a sort of a, the only complete narrative we have is right. George Zimmerman's.
2: And so yeah, if we, we have to look at the, the evidence as it was, it was portrayed in trial. You know, we can speculate on what somebody was doing, but that's just speculation. You know, so as it's portrayed out, you know, I think both people obviously made some bad choices in the lead up. Um, you know, Zimmerman called the police, you know, that's a good thing why he did so. Was it was it a racial profile? Was it a behavioral profile? You know, it seemed from the call that it seemed more like, you know, just kind of acting weird, wandering around, you know, in the middle of the rain. What's somebody doing that? History of break-ins in the area. So we see that set up one side of the story. And then we have another side where, yeah, hey, there's a kind of a creepy guy following me around. What's going on? Um, so the scenario is at some point we have we go from this lead up where we have some uh, we have we have some silly, you know, I won't call them silly, but some bad choices on both sides. The, the point of initiation of violence is where it changes. The person who escalates it to that point, feeling threatened again, it's the same. It's the same as the woman feeling threatened potent, with a potential threat and being threatened with direct bodily harm are not necessarily the same thing. So the person who instigated the violence, and according to Zimmerman, that was Trayvon. And and that's where the self-defense argument comes in. Um, you can't be an instigator of the, of the direct action. And then if you're getting beat, uh, pull out a self-defense scenario. You can't come in and cold clock somebody. And then if they start beating you, then go, oh, wait, I'm in fear of my life, and then pull a gun and shoot them. Um, so if if it had been Zimmerman who had instigated the initial violence, then he would absolutely fail in the self-defense argument and should be in jail. But since it was the other way around, at least according to testimony, um, then you know he he at that point he didn't do it initially, but waited until he felt that he had no other choice. Again, according to testimony, um, something to the effect of "You're going to die today." Uh, you know, is what he said on uh, during the initial statements and losing badly to the point where he felt, you know, I'm going to lose consciousness and then I have no ability to defend myself anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we went through the scenarios. What if it were a knife rather than a gun? Would we would the outcry be the same? Um, you know, if you have a you know big pocket knife in your pocket, it can cause just as much harm as that gun under that close range scenario. In fact, sometimes a lot more. So the way I look at it, the way the evidence was presented it looks to me like a classic self-defense scenario because it's the point of initiation of violence. Who, who escalates it to where it is now a violent confrontation rather than some type of a standoff? Um, speaking, of,
0: finishing up with this part of part of uh, stand your ground. Then we'll take a brief break, and we'll come back with uh, Janetta Williams from NAACP, get into talks uh, about uh, the race uh, element in this. Um, stand your ground, uh, and of course, supporters and detractors of stand your ground uh, have facts and figures that they put out here, and I'll, I'll throw out a couple of those. Supporters of stand your ground say, in Florida, since two thousand five, when stand your ground was passed there. Justifiable homicides tripled, um, but the uh, state's violent crime rate dropped. So kind of some facts on either side there. And uh, opponents of the law cite a Texas A&M University study that uh, found that states with stand-your-ground laws have more homicides than states without them. And so the fears here are vigilantism, people feel, feeling uh, freer to, to use force when perhaps a better option is is there?
2: Well, I would I would tend to look at now. I, I realize that this is we're taking statistics, but I mean, you look at somewhere like Utah, uh, where we are, and we do have stand your ground laws. We have some of the, you know, we have some of the easiest access to guns. We have a we have the most sought after concealed carry permit in the country, and yet we have one of the lowest. Um, violent crime rates, uh, homicide rates, et cetera, anywhere. I mean, in fact, where we're sitting right now, we are literally the safest metropolitan in the country. Um, and is are, are these things causal or are they correlative? Um, and, and, I, and I tend to think that they're more correlative because there are other factors that are going to determine really what violent crime rates are. We're going to have, you know, and a lot of those are cultural. And obviously, you know, the Utah culture is is not one that is violent. Um, But, you know, there there are some correlations here, and so you can't necessarily just look at this one factor and say this is causing or not causing these types of, uh, you know, statistical results.
0: And uh, just one more point on this, and we can come back and talk about this after we hear from Janet Williams, Uh, but uh, I was very interested to learn— this is from the Salt Lake Tribune. They went back and sort of gave uh, the genesis of how the 1994 Utah law was was passed. Uh, I hadn't remembered this at all. Uh, it was sponsored by a Democrat, Rep- Representative Stephen Barth of Salt Lake City, and was touted as a way for victims of domestic violence to defend themselves without fearing criminal mm-hmm. charges. So that was the genesis of Sandy ground in Utah. And and, Interesting.
2: and and that's the point. You know, self defense. It's 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 a double edged sword, you know. We should have the ability to defend ourselves, and guns are the great equalizer. You know, Tom, you and I, we're big guys. I'm I'm a little bit bigger than you are, but um, the the necessity of having a tool to defend ourselves is not as necessary. But but the gun is the equalizer. Whether you're a 250 pound, six foot three man like I am, or whether you're a 105 pound, um, you know, five foot two female. That, that makes you equal in your ability to project force. And, and as such, it is that tool that allows people to defend themselves without just simply being able to be overwhelmed. Mm. Um, but that does require training, and it does require the ability to use it appropriately. And I think that the Stand Your Ground law is overall a benefit in allowing people to feel secure in their self and their property. Mm. Now, uh, stipulating all that you just said...
0: Mightn't it be the case, though, that if you introduce this into, into the whole high-octane, dangerous mixture in some areas that is race relations, mightn't uh, stand your ground have a little bit of a explosive effect?
2: It, you know, it is a, there is a possibility where you already have a heightened tension that somebody is going to attempt to use the law to justify behavior. Um, but at the same time, if they actually are being threatened. That, you know, just because it's a high-tension race area doesn't matter what the races of the people are in the particular incidents. But, you know, if it's a high-tension area and that leads to, uh, you know, the bodily harm, again, if you're the instigator, the the laws do not protect you. Um, But if you are the person who is instigated against, then maybe what that's going – in the short term, we might have a problem where it escalates. But in the long term, we might have people realize, you know, maybe it's a bad idea – for me to go and beat somebody up because of a racial issue or because of a cultural issue or affiliation with some organization. Maybe it's a really bad idea for me to do this. Maybe I'm not just simply going to get away with it. Oh, I didn't intend to kill him. I was just going to beat him up real bad. Well, that's not acceptable in society either. And, uh, you know, the old uh, the old term is uh, an armed society is a polite society. Mm.
0: Uh, we have Jonathan Choate with us. He's co-hosting. We're talking, we're responding to the uh, not guilty verdicts in the uh, George Zimmerman trial in the death of a uh, teenager, uh, Trayvon Martin in Sanford, Florida. And we're uh, giving you a chance to respond, and so I, I should uh, get to some uh, emails here. We'll, we'll do this, and then we'll take the break. We'll, we're pushing this back a bit, but I want to get these in. You can join us here at upraxis at gmail.com. If you have a comment on the stand your ground, the gun laws, or the race element here, or anything, general reaction to the verdict, we'd love to uh, hear from you. Uh, The number is 1-800-826-1495. You can reach us toll-free anywhere you are, 1-800-826-1495. Email is upraxis at gmail.com, or you can comment on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page. And so here are a couple of emails uh, that came in. Uh, This person said, I find it interesting that this group that marched at the state capitol would presume to know what the verdict should have been without having been on the jury. Sounds like they would only have been happy with a guilty verdict, and I, I think that yeah, I think it's probably right that that particular group was looking for a guilty verdict. Yes, they, they definitely saw it that way.
2: Well, and and that was and we've we've seen the bar be moved a little bit. It was well, just we just want a trial. Well, we had the trial, and now we just want you know we well we just wanted it to be guilty, and and I can understand that. You know, if some you know we've had many verdicts over the years where people are not satisfied with what it is. Um, but that's the way the justice system works. We're not privy to all the evidence that was done in court for how it was portrayed and the nuance of the law. So we have to, you know, in society, we have to accept that if we believe it was handled fairly, you know, this wasn't an issue where the prosecutors were, you know, not introducing good evidence. They were not really trying to, you know, we have the old civil rights issues in the South where the prosecutors would charge somebody, but it was kind of a mock trial. Nobody expected it to go to be fair anyway. Um, and, they, you know, then that's why we have that history of the civil of the federal civil rights charges to try to make up for those state injustices. But I can't see in this particular instance where the prosecution was not trying to do their best to try the case. They just didn't have the evidence.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, let's take a brief break here. When we come back, we'll get another email in from Claudia in the Logan area. Uh, It's kind of a lengthy uh, email, very interesting. Uh, She lived in L.A. during the Rodney King case, so she has some interesting points. And then we'll uh, hear from Janetta Williams from NAACP. uh, Back after a brief break. Waste not. Never water in the hottest part of the day. Only water between 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. to prevent evaporation. And
1: when the kids want to cool off, use a sprinkler in an area where your lawn needs it the most.
0: Waste Not is made possible by the Logan City Public Works Water Conservation Department. Information at LoganUtah.org slash publicworks. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Crum Brothers Artisan Bread at 300 South and 300 West in Logan. Now open Monday through Saturday until 2, with a changing menu of a specialty salad, French breakfast pastries with local seasonal fruits, and lunch sandwiches. Thank you for listening to Access Utah today. I'm Tom Williams. We're responding to the acquittal of George Zimmerman. Neighborhood watch volunteer who uh, got in an altercation with a young uh, black teenager, Trayvon Martin. Of course, we know the outcome of that tragically. Uh, Mr. Zimmerman shot uh, Trayvon Martin. Uh, Trayvon Martin died. Uh, George Zimmerman, after a, a pause, while well, the prosecutors decided what to do, uh, and some say only was prosecuted because of uh, public outcry. In any case, uh, he was charged with second-degree murder, and uh, then later manslaughter was added to uh, uh, as a possibility. Mm-hmm. He was acquitted of those charges. And, of course, we've had uh, some marches in various cities, including Salt Lake City. Some of those marches violent, not including Salt Lake City. And uh, we're asking for your general reaction. My co-host today is Jonathan Choate. And uh, coming up here shortly, we're going to hear from Jeanette Williams from the NAACP. Here's what Claudia says. Very interesting uh, points. She says uh, to the question, was your general reaction? I lived in L.A. during the Rodney King case and ensuing riots. I observed people's reaction was shaped by their experiences during and after the Rodney King case. When I questioned people about whether they believed the police version or other witnesses' version, I discovered that If they had good experiences with the police, they believed the police. If their family members had bad experiences, they believed the other witnesses. The truth is, just weeks prior to the incident, the LAPD began to be increasingly concerned about the effects of a then-new drug called PCP. Several officers had been seriously injured by individuals displaying superhuman strength on this drug. The officers had all been warned, and they were frightened and prepared. Rodney displayed many of the characteristics of someone on PCP. And the officers responded, If you ask people about the Martin case, you may, might find the same thing about how their own experiences shaped their perceptions. It's also true that the recent climate of increasing drug crime had made the police far less tolerant of public intoxication and people had been picked up by police and treated less gently by them. I mention this because it's necessary to understand the climate in which this incident took place. Recent uh, burglaries in the Stanford area, Had they created a climate of fear and we've got to defend ourselves and we had better do it ourselves because the police can't do it attitude on part of the residents. So that's uh, part one. Responding to the question, do we have a racial profiling problem in Utah? She says, like police, teachers and anyone who's had a job it is to watch out for keep the peace. We're uh, trained to watch for things that are out of place. The open door that doesn't belong. The person who doesn't look familiar. The kid who's out of line. To the extent that someone, something looks out of place, it's going to be noticed. What about racial stereotyping? Lived in L.A. for years. You get used to seeing people who are different from you. It can be startling for others not to uh, be used to it. I also told my kids, judge people by for their character, not their outsides. For our own protection, we should make we make snap judgments. We just need to uh, smile more and see how people react to us. Show kindness and go out of your way to be uh, polite. Then she goes on to talk about uh, stand your ground. We'll talk about that if we have time. Next up, want to get in this conversation I had very interesting conversation uh, from last evening. I reached Janetta Williams, president of the NAACP uh, uh, branch in Salt Lake City, at the uh, convention national convention in Orlando, Florida. My first question has to do with the the setting, this, I don't know, especially poignant setting to learn this news. I don't know if you learned the news of the verdict right there at the convention.
3: Well, I was at the convention, and I did learn of I it. Mean, I watched it on TV because I'd been watching for, you know, watching everything before and during the trial. I watched the entire trial and I uh, on the, uh, the television station. HLN headline news, and so I was very familiar with, you know, everything that was going on. And so Saturday night, late twenty, uh, we, you know, saw it on television. Everybody here uh, doing the convention.
0: What was the scene like there with with you and the people around you? What 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 was your reaction?
3: Everybody was was really shocked, uh, surprised uh, of the. Um, not guilty, because everybody thought that the jury may come back and say maybe a manslaughter if they didn't want to do the um, the uh, murder, too, because they came back and asked the question about uh definition of uh, the manslaughter. They wanted to know a little bit more about it. So the lawyers gave them that information, and then they went back and deliberated some more. And when it came back, of course, it was not guilty. So, of course, everybody here is, was uh, almost in a daze. And even on Sunday morning, uh, we had uh, services and uh, our, kind of our religious service. And, uh, that, of course, that was talked about a lot. And the president CEO, Ben Jealous, uh, talked. Our chairman of the board, brought and brought, talked. And some more of our, you know, folks and everybody was just uh, outraged and uh, very heartbroken over the verdict
0: what have you uh, thought about uh, the protests some some there's been some violence in the aftermath of this uh of this verdict in some cities but somewhat quiet in Salt lake. more than one hundred fifty people marched in Salt lake though there's protests there what What have you oh, thought about the general the general reaction
3: well, the general reaction is that. What the NAACP was telling folks is that if they did want to uh, have a protest march, then do it in a nonviolent way, uh, no violence in whatsoever, in any kind of way, no violence. And um, and so a lot of our places they have had kind of a nonviolent protest, you know, marches. And I'm glad that Salt Lake uh, did put together something. I'm not sure who it was. I've been gone all week attending the NAACP convention uh, in Orlando, Florida. And today, Eric Holder spoke to us. And so we we had um, over one million signatures so far since the verdict. Uh, right just after the verdict came down, uh, the NAACP put a petition online on our website, national website. And we had that night before... The next morning, uh, at even before 7 o'clock, we had over 350,000 signatures, and now we've reached uh, over a million and, so
0: far. And this, uh, these are signatures on a petition asking Department of Justice to file civil rights charges against Mr. Zimmerman?
3: Yes, that is
0: correct. Yeah.
3: I'm sorry, I didn't make that clear. And so you obviously... Asking s- for, yes, we're asking for the Department of Justice civil rights charges uh, to be filed against George Zimmerman.
0: Uh, how likely do you think that is? Yeah, I
3: think it might be. I think it might be uh, likely because, uh, because they were looking at the Department of Justice has been looking at uh, the situation prior to this, and then we had uh, religious uh, groups that were meeting at the convention at the same time that we're meeting here, and uh, they have uh, sent notices out, and they also. Um, Came in today and announced that they were endorsing uh, and, and, wa- and working with the NAACP in doing this as well. Mm-hmm. And so, and so we were very happy about the um, uh, the religious uh, Christian group that's here.
0: Now, I noticed in your statement that you put out uh, on behalf of the Salt Lake branch of the uh, NAACP, you talk about um, continuing a fight to outlaw racial profiling whether it comes at the hands of law enforcement professionals or armed citizens. Uh, several people at that protest in Salt Lake City, they talked about their worries about racial profiling, that perhaps this verdict would uh, make the pro- problem worse.
3: Well, we hope it, it won't make it worse. Uh, we don't want people to think that um, that they can go out and have a uh, and. Go out and shoot and kill people. Uh, what? And we don't want to have any type of uh, profiling being done. And you know this—what uh, happened with um, Trayvon Martin? It was profiling. A lot of people don't want to talk about race and race relations for some reason. But uh, we, the NAACP, uh, are saying that it was a profile and. He was profiled because he was the African American young boy walking and trying to make it home in the rain. Um, he had his hoodie on, and a lot of young folks, both black and white, Hispanic as well, wear those hoodies. And so, it is just a time when uh, we're telling all of our young folks to, you know, be careful that they're out by themselves or even maybe if there's just two people, because we don't want uh, them to be uh, attacked in any way, approached, and, you know, anything can happen. So, you know, it's not the fact that we're trying to scare them, but we're just saying, you know, in reality, you know, be very careful. Be very careful when you're out there. You never know, you know, what might be on the minds of some of these folks. And, you know, we're just uh, alerting our young folks to... Uh, You know, watch your surroundings, watch, you know, especially if somebody's following you, uh, try to make it to a safe place.
0: Now, some people might think uh, racial profiling, some of these problems happen elsewhere, but perhaps not in Utah. Does it happen in Utah?
3: Yes, it it will. it, it, It has happened in Utah, and it will happen again in Utah. And so we've we've seen that we've seen this uh, happen before, and not only when we're talking about uh, racial profiling, but even in the um, gay and lesbian community, uh, they have been targeted and harassed as well. And so, you know, we're looking at just all different areas of profiling, and we're just saying that people need to be, you know, very cautious and be aware of their surroundings, make sure that they can have their cell phone on and try to call 911 or try to call somebody that's going to help. And like I said before, try to get somewhere safe where that um, if somebody's even thinking about doing something to them uh, or harming them anyway, that they can get to a safe place or call for help or Find somebody, you know, a neighbor that may let them in or do something. We're just not so sure what, you know, what might happen because the, you know, the neighbors after they had heard some of the things that was going on with Zimmerman, they did call the, you know, 911, and that's when you know you heard the shot. And of course, after the shot, then the yelling completely stopped. So we uh, are in. Mind that it was Trayvon Martin that was yelling for
0: help. Mm. Uh, now, the uh, you, you say um, it has happened to Utah, will happen again. You're, you're you're quite sure of that. What? Why are you sure? I,
3: I, I'm sure. I'm sure of that because the NAACP, we do get calls and reports on on profiling and uh, racial profiling, and uh, some maybe like six or eight years ago when the. Um, uh, different law enforcement and community folks come together, and did a um, kind of a research on if there was profiling even by police. And there had been cases where there were. Some folks were saying that they, no, they don't think they did. But but they, they there had been uh, cases where there they were, you know, profiled. And uh, so we're you know we're talking about profiling. We're talking about even you know employment discrimination. As well, so there's a lot of different things that continue to happen, and it happens in Salt Lake City too. Because when people think that uh, Salt Lake City, uh, you know, there's no discrimination, there's uh, everybody gets along, and you know, there's so many different things that happen. Because, but we get the complaints that come in, and that's why I said I know for sure for a fact there's racial profiling we get employment um discrimination uh, all the time we get housing discrimination complaints uh, all the time so there's a lot of discrimination goes on you know all all the time and and we we see it constantly
0: Uh, In your uh, statement that you put out, uh, just quoting part of this, you said Trayvon, uh, referring to Trayvon Martin, was the victim of two practices that disproportionately affect black men and boys. First, he was profiled as suspicious and singled out by Zimmerman as a potential threat, and we've talked about that. Second, the circumstances of his untimely death were neglected by police after he died. And uh, maybe you talk about that second point. Yes,
3: that point there is, uh, of course, George Zimmerman wasn't charged immediately. There was months that had gone by before the police actually charged him, and, uh, and he wasn't ta- nope. he wasn't taken.
0: I'm sorry, go ahead.
3: Oh, Okay, he wasn't taken into the police when the police uh, had him at the station, and he did um, he was talking about what he had what had occurred after he shot and killed. A person. They never took him in to do any type of uh, drug test or see if he was on anything at all. So there was a lot of things that the police uh, could have done, but they didn't do uh, at, at the time of uh, his death when he was shot and killed. And again, and, and it was.
0: No, go. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
3: No, no. I was gonna say it was. It was as if the police were already taking the side of Zimmerman. Uh, everything that he said, when all of a sudden you have a young boy laying dead, and the only thing he had was a drink and a package of candy, Skittles. Mm-hmm. That's all he had.
0: And uh, to the second point, again, bringing it back to Utah, does this sort of neglect in in um, charging perpetrators, if it's, a, if it's a black victim, does that happen in Utah?
3: Well, we've had uh, one instance uh, I just mentioned this one to you. We had a um, Hispanic uh, mother uh, and a white father, and their son was out with some more white kids, and the uh, the kids got picked up. The white kids got picked up, and the the other young boy was taken. Um, I'm sorry, the the black he was with some black friends, and then the some black and Hispanic friends. So the boy that looked white, the police let him go and took it, took him home. Hmm. And the mother said, "No, you take him along with the rest of them. They were all together." Hmm. This was one instance.
0: I wonder. And I won't say which. Okay. Uh, I wonder, uh, the NAACP uh, says it's continuing their fight for the removal of stand-your-ground laws in every state. Utah has one such law. I assume you're in favor of repealing Utah's stand-your-ground law.
3: Yes, that is correct. So we're working to try to you know, do what we can to repeal all of the laws, uh, stand-your-ground, uh, across the country that, that has them especially, you know, here in the state of Florida.
0: And what uh, what's your objection to Stand Your Ground? Specifically, what do you think we learn from the, the this this case, the Zimmerman case, about Stand Your Ground?
3: Well, when, when you're talking about Stand Your Ground, and then they were saying that Zimmerman was standing his ground, well, Trayvon Martin had as much uh, right to stand his ground, defend himself against a grown man and a 17-year-old boy, just as much as Zimmerman did. When he's saying that he was trying to protect himself from being armed, and so it, it, it goes a little bit too far uh, in you know stand your ground. Uh, one person uh, in Florida was killed over uh, twenty dollars, and and this person was has gotten gotten off because they, the police said that he was, uh, and then they went to the court and said he was standing his ground just because this person. Um, it was over twenty dollars, and one person owed him the money. They got in a big argument, and the guy sh- and one person shot the other.
0: <laughs> Finally, and so it, it,
3: what it did, what it does is stand your ground. Is that instead of having the law take care of it and go through the process of maybe somebody getting arrested, going to court, and all of that, what it, what it's doing is having the person being the um, the executor, everything you know—judge, jury, executor—and um, and that's that's it. And then think, oh, I'm just going to use the stand, stand your ground to get off, hmm. and that's what happened here in this case.
0: Finally, I, I want to maybe get the general reaction. You're, you're at a perfect place, an event for this question. You're at the NAACP convention there. Uh, yeah. I want to get you uh, your reaction to um, the reaction of Reverend France Davis, um, Calvary Baptist Church in Salt Lake City, of course, a, a veteran of the civil rights movement, uh, uh, and they asked him to react to the verdict in the case. And here, here was his comment, very interesting. He says, I'm concerned that we haven't made any more progress in our society than this. I would have thought that we would have stopped profiling and stereotyping and moved forward, but it seems we're still there.
3: And, and that is true, and that's... Uh, Some of the same things they're saying here. Uh, You know, in years past, you know, we've had uh, discrimination. Uh, We've had, uh, for instance, Emmett Till. Uh, Everybody knows what happened with Emmett Till. Well, if they don't, uh, then they can hopefully maybe go Google it instead of me telling the whole thing. But Emmett Till, a young 14-year-old boy that was killed by two white men. And then we had Meeky Evers, which is uh, 50 years in 50 years ago in June, and he was uh, gunned down in his um, driveway at home because he was registering, you know, mostly black folks, of course, to register to vote. Uh, But we've had profiling going on across the country, and it just continues to to happen. Um, It seems like it's. You know, it's it's we're just going back. We don't want to uh, go go back again and say, um, you know, let us fight these same battles over and over again. Uh, you know, when we win, when we win so many different cases in the courts, and when it's against the law, but they still do it. But then they still bring up some other law like the stand-your-ground law, and people are using that to just kill people. Mm. Uh, and we, so, see that, we see that happening.
0: Yeah. So uh, NAACP convention continues till when?
3: Uh, it, it ends uh, Wednesday night.
0: All right. Uh, it ends
3: Wednesday night, and we have uh, tomorrow. Today was Eric Holder. Uh, spoke to us of course and tomorrow we will have um, Reverend Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton and Martin Luther King III that will be talking to us and we are planning our um, huge march on Washington anniversary uh, coming up on August the 24th in Washington D.C. And it's not only just NAACP that's doing this but we have a lot of white organizations, as well as Hispanic organizations, the LGBT, the Greenpeace group. Uh, there's a lot of other groups that are uh, supporting all, all of the things that we're doing, and so we're all working together on it. And as I said before, a uh, the uh, discipline uh, Christian group mm. as well, and the majority of their members are, are white as well, so we have a large number. Of folks, it's not just uh, in the African American community because you know here's here's what it all boils down to, is that if a white young man is walking a, the streets or walk or just walking to a grocery store, uh, would he be profiled the same way as young black male or Hispanic male walking on the street? going to the grocery store mm. to pick up something with that white young male feel his life is going to be threatened by someone or will he have any type of fear with uh, the parents of that young white boy feel the same way the parents as a parent of a young black boy when he's uh, out going to the store or just maybe walking to the movie and going to a neighbor's house. Mm-hmm. I think you have to look at all of that.
0: Yeah. I wonder, one more thing just to occur to me. I've heard some talk on this, get your reaction to it. Um, does the fact that George Zimmerman is half Hispanic, his mother's Peruvian, does that complicate this? Does that change things in any way? How does that fit into the mix here?
3: No, because... Because when people looking at George Zimmerman, to be honest with you, they're looking at a white man, uh, you know, regardless of his mother's background, his father's white. And um so he you know they're looking at him, and then another thing is through the the jurors uh i of course, myself and others totally disagree with the jurors. a lot of people don't want to say, say anything negative because they'll you know about the jurors, but uh the jurors all got it wrong they they totally looked at it uh very different than um than a African American person would have looked at it, and they had. Uh, white, five white women, and I think the other one most might, have, might have been Hispanic. They didn't really know what she was. And so you had six people on the jury, and uh, those uh, five, uh, uh, mostly six, you know, we're all thinking the same way there. Uh, so we have to look at the jury pool as well, too. So we need to start having more people. It seems like it's never failed that even in Utah, and this is one thing that I was getting ready to do, in fact, three or four months ago, is to investigate about the uh, lack of African Americans being even selected or even uh, go through the whole jury process of being on a jury. You don't, you don't see that, and mm. so when when we see that a lot, we're saying, okay, they said you have to be registered to vote. Okay, we have our folks registered, but they uh, never get selected to be on a jury. Mm.
0: So, so you think there might be there's there might be some bias there? You're you're looking into that?
3: Yes, yes. There's, there's, but, but there's bias there, and another bias is even when the governor he has all the boards and commissions, and when our African American people uh, apply to serve on those boards and commissions, they're never selected. Hmm. Very very seldom. You might have one get picked for something. You may have one something else, but for the most part, they're, uh, they're not uh, selecting them to the serve on, on the boards and commissions either.
0: Well, we'll uh, leave it there. Uh, out of time, we really appreciate uh, Jeanetta Williams being with us. She's uh, president of NAACP Salt Lake Branch and the Tri-State Conference of Idaho, Nevada, and Utah, and we've reached her at the NAACP National Convention in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much.
3: Well, thank you. I appreciate
0: the interview. I reached Janetta Williams last night, uh, last evening, at the NAACP convention in Orlando, Florida. So uh, if you'd like to respond to anything that Janetta Williams said, you can certainly email us. We're going to extend the program for another uh, three or four minutes here uh, to give you a chance to do that. And uh, even after the program, you can respond on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page or at upraccess at gmail.com. We'll get that on. Uh, You can call at 1-800-826-1495 as well. I'm on with Jonathan Cho. Jonathan, I wanted to finish up Claudia's email. She has some very interesting points. Mm -hmm. Uh, She emailed us at upraxis at gmail.com. So we heard her uh, comments on racial profiling and uh, racial stereotyping, and she says she lived in L.A. during the Rodney King case. That was very interesting uh, points. Then she responds to a couple of our other questions. Utah, like Florida, has a stand-your-ground law. What does this case, talking about the Zimmerman acquittal, uh, teach us about such laws? Claudia says, why these laws are passed in the first place usually comes out of cases where someone got in trouble for defending their home, family, or person, and the public was outraged and insisted their leaders pass a law like this. Have you noticed these cases usually start with a climate of fear or indignation over some perceived injustice? There ought to be a law, they say. For example, the well publicized case in the of the Utah Man who